we've all been intentionally insulting before, right? Where we've done it on purpose. I think, yeah, Hawk's like, no, no, I think guys, we're, we're, we're worse than, than the ladies are because, you know, we do it and then we say we're just joking, we're just busting chops. But I remember, like, my mom's a good woman. Why would anybody want to talk about my mama? But I remember growing up, all this, yo mama, yo mama, your mama's so whatever. I'm, and when I was younger, I'd get mad and then I'd realize, okay, they don't know my mom, otherwise they'd know how wonderful she is. Sometimes we're intentionally insulting. Sometimes we're unintentionally insulting. I'll give you an example. A a mom or a dad prepares a thoughtful and a sacrificial act of love by making a meal. And the kid just, sometimes I say the kids, but sometimes it's like, like the dad or the mom, but rare, rarely, rarely. Normally it's a kid that says, I don't want that. I don't like that. Sometimes the kids are so audacious, they say, make me something else. Audacious and insulting. But they're kids, right? It's immature, it's thoughtless, it's selfish, it's self-centered. But hopefully we grow out of that. Hopefully the parent says, you can eat this or you can eat nothing. I will make you nothing else. You can go on a spiritual fast at this point right now to seek the Lord for changes that he might be asking you to make in your life. But, you, but you, I will not make you something else. The pantry is off limits to you. You will eat what I made or you will eat nothing. And that is good parenting. Thoughtless, yes. Childish, yes. Insulting, yes. Intentional? I don't know. It's intentional if it's that mom or that dad doing that. If it's that adult doing that, that's intentional insult. We've all been intentionally insulting. We've all been unintentionally insulting. If we can use our imagination for a moment. Hopefully it's not a long preach because this next portion might generate hunger within you. But if we can just imagine just tables prepared before us, just a, a feast you know, everything you can imagine that you love. Just in bountiful, beautiful preparedness and presentation just laid out before us. Every fruit you love, every vegetable you love, every, every meat that you love and side dish that you love and every bread and all those wonderful things. And then over here, what do we have over here? Dessert, the dessert table. We got banana pudding and we got pecan pie and we got... You name it. Laid out there for us. And each one of us invited to feast. It's ready. Come. Everything is prepared. Come. Imagine the insult of saying... Now nah, I'm good. I'll, I'll hit up uh, fast food on the way home. Now nah, I'm good. I, I ate a bag of chips on the way here, so I'm yeah I'm 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 good. We do this with the Lord. 
intentional, unintentional, I don't know. Only God knows our hearts, but I'm just telling you, we as his children, we do this before the Lord because he lays such blessing out upon us to feast on every day, to feast on all throughout the day. And all too often we say, no, I'm good. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to continue that theme of the feast, the wedding feast specifically. And I want us to think about what's honoring, what's appropriate, what's blessed. I'm wearing this today. I'm not a week early for Mother's Day, but I'm wearing this today because it ties in with my message, uh, wedding garment. And interesting, I didn't even plan this on purpose. These are, these are our, me and Kara's wedding colors. It was black and white and purple and silver. And so, so I just instinctively put this on. I think that's really cool. It was Tana who asked me that this morning. I'm like, no, but thank you for pointing that out. That's awesome. You just contributed my message. Let me set the stage as we're reading this. If we were to, we're going to read from Matthew 22, but if we were to read from Matthew 21, we would see that this is right after Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. What we know as Palm Sunday, where, where palms were, were waved and laid down, and it was his triumphant entry. It was the week before his crucifixion. Jesus knows what the season is that he's in. He knows the moment, and he knows that this is the end. And he tells quite a few parables and quite a few stories. He uses stories to make it palatable. He uses stories to, you know, to, to make it easy for them to hear and receive and understand. And his stories now that he tells in Matthew 21 and 22, they are intense. They're really intense. These are his last public messages. He knows that soon he'll tuck away with his disciples and he'll have some private messages for them. He'll have a smaller audience for his last, most heartfelt messages. Those that have followed and they've been close to him. But now these are his last public messages. Jesus came into Jerusalem talked about intensity. This is the time when Jesus cleared the temple. He drove out those who didn't honor this place of, of worship, this place of the, the Lord's presence. At this time, we see Jesus angry. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. And we see Jesus angry here. We see Jesus in the temple driving out people who are dishonoring his father. We see Jesus being super sharp and pointed with, with leaders who are supposed to be followers of Christ, or followers of God, not Christ, followers of God. Through parables, Jesus speaks to these leaders about their need for repentance. He speaks to these leaders about their sin in rejecting God's Son. And now, as we'll see in Matthew 22, 1 through 14, he 
speaks through these parables about their wickedness in refusing the invitations of God. Invitations, plural. There's an S on the end. I want you to know God is relentless in giving invitations. But all too often we reject those invitations. I'm going to read from Matthew 22, rather, 1 through 10. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. Invite people off the street. Go to the main areas and whoever you see, invite. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Let me just make clear what the points that Jesus, you know, the points he's making in this, in this story, in this parable. Number one, the king represents God the Father. That one's kind of a no-brainer, right? The son that he's throwing the feast for represents Jesus. The wedding feast represents salvation. The first people invited, Israel. Israel, God's chosen people. They were invited They were invited again and again, yet they refused to acknowledge that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah. They refused to believe that Jesus was Lord. He threw the invitation out again and again. And after repeated rejection, what is God to do? But he says, I now open it up to everybody. And that that third invitation we see here was to Everyone, everyone on the street, the good and the bad. It was to the Gentiles. It wasn't just to Israel. It was to the Gentiles. It was to you. It was to me. This shows the tenacity of our God for us. That he never stops. He never stops loving us. He never stops inviting us. And those who came were both good and bad. That's a key point. In Matthew chapter 22, we see this simple invitation. Everything is ready. Come. Everything is ready. Come. You don't have to make something. You don't have to bring a side dish. Just come. These words express the simple 
yet powerful message of the gospel. Jesus is Savior, and we don't have to prepare ourselves. He has done everything that needs to be done. We just have to come. He's paid the price for our full salvation. We just have to come. He will provide everything we need. There's not a person that's alive today that's been alive to which this invitation wasn't for them. This invitation is for all. There was one requirement for entry. There was one requirement for entry into this feast. There was one requirement for entry into salvation. And it was the wedding garment. The wedding garment. And even then, the host had wedding garments available for those who who didn't have one. It was part of being a good host. This wasn't just a two, three hour party. This was a party that lasted a week most times. The requirement for entry was that wedding garment. The wedding garment represents the righteousness, the rightness, the right standing that we have only through Christ. That had to be put on. It couldn't be your best outfit. couldn't be your most pressed shirt. It couldn't be your best suit. What is that wedding garment represents is God's best, which was Jesus Christ. You had to put him on. You had to receive salvation. The good, the bad, they're invited. But to get in, you had to believe that Jesus was the only one that could pay the price for your sin. And you had to put on the new garment of salvation, his righteousness. I'm going to continue in verse 11 with this parable. But when the king came to look at the guest, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. How many of you guys have read this story before? And you're like, whoa, curveball. There's this drastic change that's just taking place in this story. Everyone's invited. He told his servants, go out into the streets and invite everybody to come. The good, the bad. Yet there's this one man not wearing a wedding garment and he's cast out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He is ejected from the wedding feast. Why? These next words are a major learning point. So please listen. It would be an insult, a blatant insult to the king and to his son to refuse to wear the garment that he provided for his guests. The man who was caught wearing a wedding garment learned just how offensive it was. 
He was removed from the celebration. This is Jesus' way of teaching us. Because remember, it's Jesus telling this story. Jesus is going to great lengths to teach us about the inadequacy of self-righteousness, of self-reliance, of self-centeredness. Again, the wedding garment represents the righteousness we receive through trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's a narrow point of entry, Jesus and Jesus alone. The completed work of Jesus is that garment we put on. The completed work of grace is that garment we put on. Not something we earned. That completed work of forgiveness, that completed work of healing, that completed work of deliverance, that completed work of salvation. That word sozo, salvation, it means saved, healed, delivered. That's what Jesus does when we, when we give ourselves to him and we place our trust in him. Now I'll say this. As much as I'd love for it to be this, this instant overnight thing where the fruits have just been instantly changed, that's not, that's not the fact. The truth is we're instantly justified by the blood of the lamb. We are instantly saved. Okay, we are saved. We are changed. But there's things... That, that he will change within us as we walk out that sanctification with him. Sanctification, it just means linking arms with the Holy Spirit as we walk out our salvation, as we walk the walk, as we put in the work, as not works, as we put in the work, as we're obedient, and as we follow him, and as we respond, he changes us. Now, I want to make a kingdom point here real quick. Some might think, well, if he really loves me, he wouldn't want to change me. Yeah, that's, that's childish. Yeah, that's really childish. That's immature thinking. He loves you enough to change you because you got some really, and I got some really immature ways of doing things and some immature and selfish ways of thinking. So yes, thank God he wants to change us. Thank God he's willing to change us. But are we willing to be changed? Are we willing to change our clothes so that we can enter the celebration? Let's look at that passage again in verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, what does the king say to him? What term does he call him by? Friend. He's not angry. He's not. He said, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? What did the man say? Nothing. He was speechless. Friend, tell me what good works you've done that are so good that you deserve salvation. I'm speechless. I have no such good work. I, I have no such thing that would make me worthy of salvation. 
from the very beginning, God has provided a garment of salvation and covering for our sin, his son, Jesus Christ. To insist on covering ourselves in our best efforts, covering ourselves in our our best works, and thinking that that's enough, that we've earned salvation, is filthy rags. Isaiah 64, verses 5 through 9 says this. You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways, but you have been angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? I, I, I really love that phrase. We are constant sinners. You know what? God knows you're not perfect. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. But I will say this. If we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we can't be, we can't be constant sinners. We can't sit there and choose some selfish act that we refuse to let God change in us and say, I'm going to do it again and again and again and again and again. I refuse to let God change this in me. I refuse to give this to God. Verse 6, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away. I love that. It's not God who sweeps us away. It's our sins who sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore... You have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. And yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. Can we say that? We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Don't be so angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are all your people. Don't be angry with us, Lord. Don't remember our sins forever. Don't be angry with us, Lord. Don't remember our sins forever. Did you know that there was a work that God brought forth so that he wouldn't be angry with us anymore? So that our, fin- our sins would not be remembered by him anymore? And it was the work of grace. It was the completed work of Jesus Christ. He paid that price. Otherwise, we're dust. Do you want to be dust? Or do you want to be clay? If we're followers of Jesus and we say, hear me, if we're followers of Jesus and we say we're clay, then I need you to know you, you have no say in the matter what the result of that potter's will is. You don't get to say, okay, I want to be a long, elegant, skinny vase, not a vase, a vase, okay? I want it to be elegant. I want it to be blue, not just blue. I want it to be, give me a blue. Persul, azul. Robin's egg, Robin's egg blue, then blend a turquoise, then blend a... That's what I want, Lord. That's what I want to be. If we're clay on the potter's wheel, he gets to mold us into what's useful for his kingdom. It's not about you. It's not about me. 
Are we sure this is on? Are we sure this is on? Hello? It's not about you. You don't get to say, okay, I, I, I didn't like what you did up till now, but I, I accepted it because I'm kind. But don't put me in the fire. That's where I draw the line. Let me tell you this right now. It's an insult to the king, and it's an insult to his son to bear his name, to say I bear his name and refuse for God to do the work in, uh, uh, that he wants to do in your life. It's an insult. It's intentionally insulting. For us to walk around with hurts that we refuse to let God heal, it's an insult to the king because that does not represent his completed work of salvation. And he's faithful to heal us if we will say, Lord, I give you my all. I yield to you. You put me on the wheel and I am the clay and you are the potter and have your way. It's an insult to say, I put on this beautiful garment of your salvation, but yet there's certain things I'm still going to do in this garment. See, when I put this on today, this, this was nice and pressed. I made the decision to roll the sleeves because I didn't want to be too formal. But when I put this on today, I'm, I made some decisions. I made the decision that I will not eat chips and salsa in this when I leave church today. Because it'll end up right here. I made a decision I wasn't going to eat spaghetti and meatballs. Or anything with red sauce. For a matter of fact, I made a decision that I wasn't even going to wear this to lunch and I have another shirt in the car. If you've made the decision to put on the garment of salvation, I'm just letting you know right now it's insulting to give pornography a place in your life. It's an insult to the garment of salvation that has been put upon us. If you have put on the garment of his righteousness, it's an insult to say, I recognize you forgave me for all my sins, but I refuse to forgive others. It's an insult to walk around in bondage when he's declared you're a free man. You're a free woman. Jesus was intense. I'm just trying to match his intensity. If you go back and you read the parables in Matthew 21, Matthew 22, he's intense. Why? Because these are his last messages. He knows that he will be on a cross in a week. And he's importunity. The moment is important to him and he is seizing it. The good, the bad, the ugly, the hurt, the angry, the violent, the drunk, the high, the bound, the gossip, the slanderer, they're all invited. They're all invited. But they have to put on the garment of his righteousness. They have to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Young people, if I can talk to you all real quick, you don't got a free pass. You don't get to heaven because your, your parents are Christians. You're not a Christian because your parents are Christian. 
It's a relationship that you have to say yes to. And I, I look across this room and I'm like, I look around going, I remember when she said yes. I remember the day that she gave her life to Jesus. We should all be doing the same thing. I remember the day I said yes to Jesus. I remember the day I made him Lord and Savior. But I'm just letting you know, if you haven't made him Lord and Savior, he is not your Lord and Savior. You've been invited. You've been invited. But you haven't put on his righteousness yet. There's no free pass just because your parents are good people. I'm good. I'm a good person now. I, I I don't do the things I used to do. Cadence does not get a free pass. Jordan does not get a free pass. Acacia does not get a free pass because anything I've done. Kara's a better person than me. They get no free pass because of her. I came to him as wrecked and empty and brawler and egomaniac and in need of a savior. Just part of my testimony, at some point I knew, I knew I couldn't play football. I played college football. I knew I couldn't foot, play football and serve Jesus. I knew it. I was too immature. Football was too much of my identity. It was too much about me proving my worth. I just knew. I, I knew I couldn't serve Jesus and play football. That's when I transferred to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Who does, did they have a football team? They got a basketball team, though. Hey, woohoo! Come on! Oh, are you Golden Eagles? Used to be Titans. Woohoo! They didn't have a football team. I left that. I left that on the floor as the potter cut away what he needed to cut away, and as he molded me into whatever shape he wanted me to be, whatever was useful for his kingdom. God is so good. You don't have to worry about what he's going to mold you into. What he's going to mold you into on that wheel. You don't have to fret. Oh, Lord, I don't want it to be ugly. Don't make it hideous. Lord, I, I hate modern art. You don't got to worry about it. You don't got to worry about that. Just as the king provided wedding garments for his guests, God provides salvation for mankind. Has anybody ever taken a world religions course? Maybe in college or maybe in high school. I took a world religions course when I was in college. If you took a world religions course, you learned this. All the principles... All the philosophies of world religion, you can narrow them down to two things. Number one, we either find God, mankind finds God through working his way toward God, or we find the cross. That's it. You take every religion. It's either man's attempt to earn God's favor or the cross of Christ. That's it. cross is the only way to salvation. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes through the Father except through me.
There's not a back door. There's not another way around. There's not another means or another person by which we are saved, but Christ and Christ alone. I'm going to close with another of Jesus' stories. I'm going to, I told you Matthew 21 and 22, so I'm going to back up to Matthew 21, verse 28. Jesus says this, What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And the father, the man, went to the other son and said the same. And the son answered, I will go, sir, but did not. Jesus then asked his audience, um, which of the two did the will of the father? I know that our first response is often proud. Can everyone look at me real quick? Can everyone just, I'm, I'm, I'm landing quick. I know our response is often, the first response is bad. Mine is. A lot of times it's proud. My first response is proud. My, my first response is, you can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to wear. You can't make me eat that delicious food. I, I know my first response is often proud. I love this parable. Because I get to change my mind. You get to change your mind, you stubborn sucker. You get to change your mind and say, Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. You get to change your mind and say, I know I said I wouldn't do that. But if you want me to do it, I'll do it. Father, if you're asking me to do it, I'll do it. The Father has prepared a feast for us in celebration of his son, Jesus. A celebration that lasts throughout the year. So bring your good times. I won't go all cool in the gang on us. But our God, He's given us a good life. He's given us a good feast. He's given us joys and hope and peace. And He wants us to laugh and love and live. And I want you to know we don't have to fear the fire. We don't have to fear the potter's wheel. And we don't have to fear the wedding feast, but we can't get in on our own goodness, on our own righteousness. I want you guys to hear me. I I really want you to hear this. You can come to Jesus broken, filthy, and bound. But you can't stay that way. You can't stay that way. You can come to Impact Rock. Let me say this on behalf of the pastoral team. You can come to Impact Rock broken and filthy and bound, but you can't stay that way. Because it's an insult to Jesus when he's offered healing not to grab a hold of healing. When he's offered deliverance to not say, I don't want these chains. When he's offered salvation to go to Burger King. To feast on garbage and junk and stuff and not him. And you know what? We, we love you too much to sit there and let you say, yeah, you can carry that same garbage year in and year out. And we're just going, you know, and that's, that's just hunky-dory with us. It is not. Anyone know what hunky-dory is? Southern term. It's not okay with us. It's not okay. 
It's not okay. Hey, I will love you, but if you are a brother that you have given place in your life to pornography, I, I love you enough to say, I love you, but that can't stay. You can, you can stay, but that's got to go. That's got to go. You can't allow that into your heart. I love you enough to say, and we love each other enough to say, I love you, but that bitterness and that resentment and I, the way I hear you slandering that person, that's got to go. You can stay, but that's got to go. If we bear his name, we've got to bear his likeness. And that's what happens when we link arms with the Holy Spirit and we walk out our faith and we walk out our salvation and we stumble and we misstep and we step back, but we're abiding with him. I once heard Chuck Smith, um, founder of Calvary Chapels, he made this statement. He was asked about uh, eternal security, which is like one saved, always saved. And he said, I don't know about eternal security. I just know this. If I abide with Jesus, I will always be secure, eternally so. If I abide with Jesus and I walk with him, I'm secure. I'm secure. If Jesus is over there and I'm over here, I can't think of many more reasons to be insecure. I want to be with my Jesus. We, we should want to be with Jesus. We walk it out. And you know what? We're going to make mistakes. I might, I might be good for an hour. I'll probably, I, I imagine I'm going to have the solid 60 minutes as soon as we're done here. I might not sin in those 60 minutes. Please don't cut me off and test me and try me in this. Don't do that. That's just wrong, man. That's just, I might be good for half a day. I don't know. But at some point, I know that I might have to look around and say, Jesus, you're there and I'm here. And I want to be where you are. When something's in the fire, it gets what? Hot. When something's in the water, it gets what? Wet. Something's in the desert, dry. When something is in the kingdom, it gets changed. When something's in the kingdom, it gets changed. And it's always better. It's always better. It's always stronger. 